the Lord's really laid building on my heart. We've looked previously at the calling that Nehemiah had. We've also looked at how he, he suffered attacks and um, uh, was an uh, opposition, all that sort of stuff. And after 90 years, the people were sitting there in Jerusalem. They've waited 90 years saying that the wall couldn't be built. And Nehemiah came along and the, the wall was built in 52 days, which is incredible. And I'm praying that it takes us less than 52 days to build our little pr property down there from this point on. See, Nehemiah inspired the same people who were moaning about it to get on board and to, and to actually build this wall in 52 days. And all I can say is clearly they were dealing with a different council than we were. But there you go. So the book of Nehemiah doesn't just deal with the construction of a wall. It actually deals with the construction of a nation. And Nehemiah had to face further pressures, even from his own people. So I want to finish this series by having a look at the situations he faced involving his own people. It wasn't all about him. It was about the people who were joining with him on this quest. Nehemiah 2 verse 18, he writes this, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And we have seen incredible blessings and miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle at this church. We've seen hundreds of thousands of dollars miraculously supplied, incredible favor miraculously obtained, amazing opportunities miraculously opened. And we need to be ready for what the Lord is bringing. So as we prepare to move, we need to remain vigilant. We need to keep the strength in our hands, folks. Do you know, a lot of times the enemy attacks us when we've had some success. Did you know that? Like when things go well, you start to think, well, I'm going pretty good here. And that's when he attacks. Sometimes the devil comes as a roaring lion, but sometimes he just sneaks in as a little serpent. So I want to run through seven things that the people experienced as they built this city wall and as they rebuilt their nation. The first thing was people were scared. And this is pretty relevant today. I, I don't remember a time when people have been so scared in our whole society. I don't remember it. I wasn't around in the Second World War, but I'd imagine when the Japanese invaded that there was an element of fear in the place. When they found a submarine popped up in Sydney and took a few pot shots, there was fear. But I've never seen it in my lifetime so much fear right across the board, right across our society. And when Nehemiah moved back in there to Jerusalem, he had guys like Sam Ballard and Tobiah constantly harassing and threatening Nehemiah and the people, causing widespread fear among all the workers. But as I explained last week, Nehemiah never gave up, he never gave in, and he never gave way to his enemies. He was jeered, he was mocked, his motives were questioned, and his name was slandered. He faced the threat of violence, and he also faced a legalistic threat. You remember from last week, if you were here, where prophets turned up and started prophesying against him in the name of the Lord. And he said, I'm having none of it. Just because you say God told me doesn't mean it's true. And so they had these guys attacking him left, right and centre, sometimes with a kind of a legalistic religious veneer on it. But through it all, Nehemiah stood strong and he never deflected from his calling. If you go to Nehemiah 4, verses 15 to 16, listen to what it says. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to, to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half my servants worked in, on construction and half held the spears, shields and bows and coats of mail. The leaders stood behind all the whole house of Israel. 
See, Nehemiah inspired his people, and I want to inspire you to look ahead, not back. Don't look around at what we see here in this room because there is more coming. And God is doing an incredible thing. In Nehemiah 6, verse 9, he writes this, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, he writes, strengthen my hands. And I believe God wants us to strengthen our hands this morning, don't you? Things will be said. Things will be implied. There will be people who will discourage us. But we need to stay focused on the kingdom of God and let God take care of the rest. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and, you know, we make no mistake for using a lot of scripture in what we talk about because it's the word of God, yeah? We've got the Gideons here. We need to say that to get in their good books, but they know that anyway. Matthew 6.33, all the things you can worry about in life, all the things that fill your mind and drive you crazy, but he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Don't concentrate on the other things. Concentrate on seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's how you overcome fear. You focus on the Lord and on his word. The second thing, now I was looking for words that started with S. I wanted everything to start with S. So the second thing is the people were sedulous. Do you know what it means? So you come to this church, you get educated. I had to look this up. It means hardworking, yes. Hardworking and persistent, but sedulous. Fiona said, you can't use that word. I said, I can. I'm a very sedulous person. And I can. See, the people worked hard, and, you know, and to get success, it requires some hard work. Floating along, being half committed and expecting God to do stuff is never going to win this nation of Christ. It's never going to crown his mission of success in our nation. Nehemiah 4 verse 6 says this, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And I want to encourage you to have a mind to work. Now, I'm not asking you to work yourself into the ground, because... Um, I think Leanne put something on Facebook the other day that I saw. It was like hard work, doing stuff you don't, don't love is, is like burnout, is stress. And hard work doing something you love is passion. And it's so true. If you love what you're doing, you, can get, you work much harder because you're passionate about it. So I believe we should work together for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not asking you to be contortionist here. When you think about it, if you have your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground and your nose to the grindstone, your back to the wall and your hands to the plow, it's very hard to do all of that. But to move into our destiny is going to require some hard work. But I'm going to ask you to work hard for the Lord where he leads you, where you get excited. That's why we have 201 and 101. So we, we have these courses to try and focus you back in on, on what your gifting is and let you use your unique gifting for the kingdom of God. And I love that verse in Isaiah 40, verse 30 to 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't you love that? Mount up on wings like eagles. I love that stuff. One of the brilliant leadership decisions Nehemiah made when he came to dealing with people, a brilliant decision was that he got everybody to start repairing the wall in and around their own home. And so he says this, Nehemiah 3 verse 28, for example, above the horse gate, the priest repaired each one opposite his own house. Incredible strategic move. He said, I want you to work hard, but work hard in your own backyard, building your own yard up. Work hard building the wall in your bit. And I would say the same to you. See, each family took ownership and pride of their own section of the wall. 
And that's how the wall was built so quickly. The lesson uh, is not that we should work for the sake of work, but that we should work hard doing what we love in, bit, in places that, that are really important to us. And some of you are called outside of this church. We need to support you and love you as you go. Some of you are called inside this church. We need to support you. But whatever you are doing, do it in a way that you love. I don't want people who burn out. I want people who are passionate because then we can serve together. And as we move, there will always be a way for us to serve. There will always be opportunities in this church for you to serve the Lord. Thomas Edison said, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. And it's so true. Nehemiah 6 verse 16 said this, When all our enemies heard it and the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that what this work had been accomplished was with the help of our God. Or Psalm 127 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. I don't care what what is going on in your life, but if you work for God, He crowns it with success because it's the Lord who builds the house, not you, not how clever you are, not your efforts. It's the Lord who builds the house. And I don't know about you, but I spent large swathes of my life doing stuff that I didn't really enjoy and thought I had to. And I didn't enjoy that and I didn't feel that it even got anywhere sometimes. We need to be serving the Lord doing what we love. Are you with me? Okay, the third thing is people were selfish. Now, I know there's no one like that here. But let's be honest, we're all a little bit selfish, aren't we? Aren't we? Don't believe me, get on the roads. You'll see it right there. Try merging lanes. You guys down at Caloundra must be happy that interchange is looking better, aren't you? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw a meme one time of the, the guys from Back to the Future and the the professor got out of his car. He said, I've just come back from 40 years in the future. They're still working on the Bruce Highway. I went, oh my gosh, you know. But see, what had happened was, was the people got, when they got successful and they started to get successful, they got selfish, even amongst their own people. The Jewish leaders saw a chance to make money and they were exploiting their brothers, making them slaves and, and taking large amounts of interest payments from them. So in Nehemiah chapter 5, if you've got your Bible there, verses 6 to 7, Nehemiah says this, I was very angry when I heard their outcry, that's the poor people, and these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials and I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Then in, in verses 5 to 12, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day the fields and vineyards and olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. And the leader said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. You see, at the earliest opportunity, they found a way to exploit one another. Nehemiah pulled them up for their selfishness and demanded that they repent and undo the evil they'd done. Now, at Ignite, our slogan is real people, real community, real God. And we cannot have a real community if we exploit one another. We cannot have a real community if we are constantly pushing our own agenda and barrow. There will be opportunities for you to minister and to serve, but you need to be a team player on God's team. And some of us here, you know, we've got our own agenda all the time. We need to, even as pastor, I can't push my own agenda all the time because we need to be a team that works together. 
Mark 10, 45. Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Nehemiah had to stand against selfishness. The next thing he had to stand against, he headed back to Persia to report him with the king. And when he returned, there were even more issues. If you look at Nehemiah 5, verse 15. The former governors who were before me laid a heavy burden on the people and took from them their day... Uh, their daily ration 40 shekels of silver even the servants lorded over other people you see if you have exploitation happening at the top of an organization it just filters down through the whole organization but if you have people who are leading who serve then people get that message and they start to serve one another nehemiah 13 verse 11 to 12 so i confronted the officials and i said this why has the house of god been forsaken and i gathered them together and set them in their stations then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the wine and the oil to the storehouses. See, the next thing they did, they started neglecting the things of God. They started neglecting the house of God. And, you know, the more successful we get, sometimes the more tempting it is to grab for stuff. Have you ever noticed that? But you can't take it with you, folks. You know, all the stuff you accumulate is not going to go with you to heaven. That's why Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves now the fourth thing that happened to the people was that they were shaped and this happens a lot this is happening a lot right now the world is always trying to make us compromise and squeeze us into its mold its shape it's it's trying to influence to, to look like so that we look like the rest of the world and if you make a decision to stand for Christ I guarantee you somehow somewhere someone even some Christian maybe will try and water your witness down. They will challenge you to defend yourself and discuss it and discourse. And this, Man, I tell you, we live in the most opinionated, offended and argumentative generation in history. I feel like we do. We, everybody wants to take everybody else to issue on every subject. On Facebook, in, in church, in coffee shops, they argue and defend stuff that doesn't even matter to them. They just vehemently defend stuff. It's just a weird time. You know, people arguing about stuff that doesn't even affect them. But they will argue to the death on that stuff, you know. In Nehemiah's case, they were doing it too. They were constantly calling for meetings and arbitrations, discussions, arguments and that sort of stuff. But he said this in Nehemiah 6 verse 3. I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should I stop while I leave it and come down to you? And you know what he did? He just didn't buy into all that junk. He avoided all of the foolish arguments that are going on all the time in our society. And listen, as we move to Nambul, there'll be all kind of, kinds of pressure on you to not get involved. There'll be all kinds of pressure on you to sort of just, oh, I think I'll just float away and go somewhere else. But I'm telling you, God is doing a good thing. And you need to be involved because we won't get this time back. This is time for us to step into the destiny God has for us and to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, on His call for our lives. And in this world of opinion, to stop just trying to conform to them all the time. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Don't conform to the pattern they're constantly trying to squeeze you into. And you know what I'm talking about. Right across our society, they're trying to make you believe and do the things they want. You don't have to do that. 
you need to have your mind renewed. How do you re renew your mind? How do you make your mind new again, constantly? You fill it with the right stuff. Worship, music, church, sermons, and especially the Word of God. We've been talking about it this morning. You put this stuff in your heart, things are an awful lot clearer when you look at all the stuff they're trying to push onto us. They become clearer when you have the Word of God in your, in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. Philippians 4. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence or worthy of praise, think about these things. And we're thinking about so much stuff at the moment. But I believe we need to think about things that, are, that will last in eternity. There are only three things that live forever. There are only three things that will last for eternity. God, His Word, and the souls of men and women. That's what lasts for eternity. Everything else is going to disappear at some point. It doesn't last for eternity. Even church denominations don't last for eternity. You know, we get all hung up on our church and our denomination. And don't worry about the denominational tags. My friend Bill Newman says, if you go up, they drop off. If you go down, they burn off. Don't worry about them. They're not going to make a difference in eternity. God, His Word and the souls of men and women. The fifth thing is that people were out and out sinful. See, when Nehemiah went away for a short time, they all dropped their bundle and they backslid like crazy. By the time he returned, they, they were ignoring the Sabbath, if you read uh, there in Nehemiah, exploiting one another, installing a pagan enemy. Tobiah, the enemy that he faced, that had criticized him so much, when he went away, they installed him in the temple. They gave him a room in the temple. Can you believe it? A pagan in the temple. And even marrying foreign wives and adopting their religious beliefs. See, Nehemiah 13 verse 27 says this, Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Now, they just dropped their bundle. They gave in and they started to just out and out sin. They'd stopped supporting the priests, so the priests had gone back to working in the fields because they were starving. They'd withheld money and tithes and offerings, and they'd just sunk into sin. Why? Because Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You see, like you and I, it doesn't take much effort to backslide and sin. Have you noticed that? It's real easy to slip back into the old ways and to start sinning again. It takes effort to be holy, but I believe we need to be holy because God is holy. 1 Peter 1 says this, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he, as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. And I believe that at this time, in this nation, the people of Australia are looking for holiness. They don't know that, but there is something when we stand for what is right, sometimes they will attack us, but I tell you, they cannot deny when they see holiness in our lives. And it's not just about what you say, it's about how you act. Purity matters. It matters to God, it matters to each other, and it matters to how our community sees us. So I believe as we head into Namba, we need to make sure that we are a pure and holy church. Don't you? It's important. The sixth thing was that people were sorry. And people were genuinely sorry. What happened? They brought out a book of the law that they found, and people gathered, and they listened to the reading of the Word of God for hours. 
then they wept and they realized their need to confess. Nehemiah 9 verse 2. All the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Let me say that again. They confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. Did they do their father's sin? No. But were they responsible before God to confess that sin? Yes, they were. They really felt the gravity of their sin. And we are often too flippant about sin. We tolerate it. We hush it up. But these people were genuinely sorry. They repented and confessed their sins and the sins of their fathers. And I believe that as Australians, we need to confess not only our own sins to be pure before the Lord, but also the sins of our nation, which are many. Do you agree? If God doesn't judge Australia for the decisions we've made over the last decade or so, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because we have been abhorrent in the things that we have let through and tolerated in this nation, even in recent days. I believe that we as Australians need to confess not only our own sins, but the sins of our nation. Because in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says this, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me in the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God is looking for people to stand in the breach for our nation. Is he going to find it? Says in Ezekiel, I found none. But I believe we should be those people who stand in the gap for our people, who confess the sins of our nation and repent of those things and intercede for our nation. Are you with me? These are important things. The seventh thing about the people was that people were seeking God. And this led the people to truly and honestly seek God. They stood all day listening to Ezra read from the Word of God. The whole day. We can't even find two minutes to spend in a quiet time reading the Word of God. They stood for the whole day and listened and wept. Nehemiah 8.8, 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. See, seeking God involves repentance and it involves reading and knowing his word. That's why what the Gideons do is so important because they're taking the word of God to people. And the word of God is living and active and sharper than any, any double-edged sword. It's not a book. It's a living thing. And God uses those words to impact people's lives. And I believe that as the people stood there repenting, they consciously stopped sinning and they actively sought God. And it was, a, it was, practically, it was even joyous. They, even, you know, they were crying because they realized how much they'd sinned and they were repenting for their people and for their fathers. And Nehemiah came to them and said, Hey, you guys, you need to look up because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you can repent of stuff but still have that joy burning within. That's what they found then. Nehemiah 10 verse 35 says this, we obligated ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. So they started to give. They physically gave. They gave out of what God had given them and they gave and they tithed and they feasted and they rejoiced. And the job was completed in 52 days. But the job of rebuilding the nation wasn't done in 52 days. That was just the wall. They still had to work on their hearts and intercede for their people. And at the earliest opportunity, they slid back into sin, but then they repented and they re repented for, for their sins and the sins of their father. So as we walk towards this big move that we have coming up, I want to truly have a big effect on our community. Do you? I don't want to just be, oh yeah, that's the church that happens to be in the middle of Nambour. 
I want to be the church that goes to Nambour and turn that place upside down for Jesus. That's what I'm calling you to. It's not about building you know, a few walls and a stage and a floor, even though it's taken us six months to build a floor. You know, this is about serving God and reaching our community. And I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to do it a little bit differently here this morning. I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to be the one standing in the gap for your nation. Are you with me? Would you stand for your people? This is it's an important thing. It's not just something that we do for, you know, because we haven't got anything better to do. This is where we look at our nation and we realize how lost our people are. And we repent, not just for our sin, but also for the sins of our people. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, very famous verse, but it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people, if my people, I don't expect the politicians to repent of the, the, the laws they've brought down. I don't expect the man in the street to drop to his knees and repent for things that our nation has let through. If my people, that's you and I, that's our church, that's our families, that's our, we can stand in the gap for our people because they need it. And I want to see revival. Who wants to see revival come to Australia? I do. Well, it doesn't come freely. It doesn't come without commitment. And it never comes without repentance. So what I'm going to ask you to do as we finish up here, we're going to sing a song and then I'm going to ask us to, to just break into little groups, just grab a few people either side. Now, we want to pray together. If you, if you don't want to pray, that's okay. There's no pressure on you to pray here. Just sit quietly and let others do it. But what I'm going to ask you to do is very specific this morning. I'm going to ask you to repent. I know that's a big call. We don't like to use that, that verse very often. I'm going to ask you to repent and to stand in the gap for our people because our nation needs repentance. And we can start this thing going by being the ones who bow the knee and say, Lord, forgive us. We repent, not just of our own sin, but of the sins that have gone on in our nation for far too long. I'm going to put up a little list of sins, not, not yet in a few moments. There's just ones that spring to mind when I think of Australia. So we're going to pop that up on the wall afterwards. So we, we're going to sing together. And uh, come on up, team. And we're going to sing together. And then what, what I'm going to ask you to do is just grab a couple of people, one on either side, and let's start praying for our nation. Let's start standing in the gap for our people. And I'm specifically going to ask you to repent. Now, I know some of you are saying, I didn't do all that stuff. I know. I get it. I'm not asking you just to repent for your sins. I'm asking you to repent for what our nation has done over decades and, and a couple of centuries. From the moment that white people arrived in this nation, we've done stuff that we need to repent of. Right through to recent days, we've done stuff we need to repent of as a nation. So I'm not saying you did this. I'm saying you have the power to stand in the gap for your people. That's what I'm saying. So why don't you just, just close your eyes, take a few moments and just pray, just quietly confess your sin to the Lord because when we join together, we're going 
we're going to pray into and repent of the sins of our nation. If my people, that's you and I, what an opportunity. Take a few moments to do that.